It's good to see everybody here online again. Um, uh, apparently, I think, so we're on track to reopen in-person worship uh, in a couple of weeks. And so it looks like uh, we won't have, or at least for me, I won't be doing this too much longer, at least here at home. But um, as we pray for that, just continue to pray as we hear and, and um, look forward to more information as next week, I think we'll get more information in terms of how we're going to register people. But uh, continue to pray for the uh, reopening of the church and I look forward to that as well. And hopefully uh, we can do it in a safe and organized manner. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I know Sam just uh, asked for prayer for Cambodia, but uh, just to give you a little more detail, um, you know, you thought quarantine and um you know, being stuck at home was pretty bad here. Right now, it's so bad in Cambodia. There are areas there in Cambodia, which they call red zones. And um, there, people aren't even allowed to step out of their houses. And um, if you did, uh, they actually have soldiers and um, policing so that if you came out of your house, they actually cane you. Uh, they beat you. So uh, they, they don't have access to food and, and water and so forth. And so right now, Paul and Susan and, and missionaries there that we're supporting are trying to figure out ways to get them the kind of um, basic necessities that they need um, because they can't do that. So hopefully it's not going to last too much longer, but just kind of keep that in prayer as we um, pray for uh, our, our missionaries. But anyways, we, we've been looking here in Ephesians chapter 4, and as I continue to look at chapter 4, I mean, the thing about Paul's letters is that it's just so packed. He's so um, dense with a, a lot of thought and, and teaching, and there are things that he doesn't explicitly say, but he means, and he's thinking about that doesn't always come to the front. And so it's easy for me to to really get wrapped up in just even the few verses that, that he has. But we've been looking at Paul's perspective on community, and not just community in general, but community in relationship to its, its gifts. Uh, and we're going to get to um, understanding what spiritual gifts are and why it's needed and, and why I'd like to encourage the church to not just serve, but to think about utilizing the gifts that, that each of us have been given, not just for our own personal benefit, but for the benefit of others, particularly in our community. And it's so important. These things go hand in hand. And uh, a great place that we're looking at here is in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's it's interesting here. As we look at here, chapter 4, you remember uh, last week, basically in, in the first three verses of this passage, if you've got these verses in front of you, uh, Paul encourages this church, this small church in Ephesus, to walk in a manner worthy of, of the call that they've received. And basically, we said a couple of weeks ago that he's encouraging the Christians here in Ephesus to live out their calling as Christians by loving the family of God. And he says in verse 2, we do that with humility, uh, with gentleness, and with patience, and um, not just in some general way, just loving people, but particularly we do that in our local congregation. Because after all, Paul is talking particularly to this one church in Ephesus. And already I think, you know, this might sound pretty, I guess, you know, standard fare for Christians. Yeah, you need to love people. You need to love your church. You need to be gentle, patient, and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it really, it, it, we ought to pause and think, am I gentle? Uh, do I have patience? Um, do I have humility? Am I expressing that in our community? And I think this is something that we just we need to think about because it might sound pretty obvious and basic here, but it's not easily done, is it? 
right? It's not easily done to, to love and to serve uh, the community that you are in, the people that you are with as you worship with them together week in and week out. And you may have already experienced, some of you, how hard this can be. And here's the thing I want you to know. Uh, the Apostle Paul also knows he, he's not just writing to this church with some basic Christian ideals. He's a, he's a realist because he knows how difficult that can be. Because it's, it's, it's one thing to, to love someone that we're, we're not usually regularly always around. And it's another thing to, to love someone that you're always with all the time, isn't it? Uh, it's one thing to love someone who's always kind to you, uh, always good to you. It, it's usually easier. But it's a completely different thing to love someone who disappoints you, uh, who lets you down, who, who even sometimes makes you angry. And Paul knows this. I don't think he's unaware. He's a realist, and he knows that life as a Christian and life in a Christian congregation is never simply a bed of roses of unbroken, unmitigated joy and delight, okay? He knows that we can step on each other's toes sometimes. He knows that sometimes we can even hurt each other very deeply with, with words or with actions or sometimes even lack of actions. He knows that factions can break out, even in a small and local congregation, that families can be divided, that Christians can be at odds with one another. Paul knows that being Christian and being part of a Christian community can be messy. It can be very messy. And so Paul is dealing with these realities in this local congregation in here, this church in Ephesus, and he's writing to them. He's speaking to a small congregation here that is made up of both Jewish Christians and, and Gentile Christians, right? Jews and Gentiles together in one place. And if you know anything about them, you know that they're very, very different from one another. They're very different religious backgrounds. This congregation had, had very different ethnic and, and cultural backgrounds. And here they are uh, worshiping together in this one place, in this one church. And as we learned last week, Paul's been exhorting them to be united, uh, to pursue uh, unity, and so Paul knows more than anyone how practical and yet how difficult the issues of unity can be in any particular congregation. Um, just a couple things that, that we're going to look at here. Uh, we're going to revisit this idea that Paul has of unity just briefly to kind of reemphasize that. But then we're going to also look at Paul's understanding of diversity. And then I'm just going to give you a couple of things to think about practically to do as you consider yourselves and your church um, as one community, okay? So uh, what Paul tells us from last week, as we learned in the beginning of this passage, as he exhorts them to pursue unity, he says it's difficult. He knows it's difficult, but I want you to notice this as you look at the way he writes in this chapter, okay? Because as difficult as it is in this particular situation where everyone's so different, right? even at odds with each other, what you should take note of here is the way he exhorts or encourages this, this church to unity. Paul doesn't just tell people here in this church, hey, you know what? I know you got some issues here. I know there's some differences here, but just look deep down in your hearts and find the love within you and just, tr just try a little bit harder to love one another as you should, okay? He doesn't say that at all. 
because he knows that sometimes, to be very honest, you could look deep down in yourself and you're not going to find what you need in order to love somebody else in your community, someone that you find very difficult. What Paul does in our passage, instead of pointing us to ourselves, he points us to something outside of ourselves, something that we contribute nothing to, something that he says will be the foundation of your ability to love one another. And it's not something within you. It's not something he could say to you, hey, hey you could do it. Just, just think deeply. Just, just feel more deeply. Just be more considerate. That's not what he says at all. It's not something within us. It's not our own resources of our own personal loving heart. I mean, think about this. You ever try this? You know, you know that you should be more caring, more loving, especially with that person in your church that you know had a difficult uh, maybe situation with or even conflict with. And you try really hard, but it just it, it doesn't last long, does it? It's very difficult. So Paul doesn't say that to the Ephesian Christians, but rather what he says this, he says, I'm going to tell you the foundation of your ability to love one another, to express this, what he calls a gospel unity. And it's not going to be found in you. It's found outside of you in something else. And this is why I just mentioned it briefly last week. But when you look at verse four, this is why he talks about the unity of God. In verse 4, he says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Notice the repetition of those two words, one body, one spirit, one, 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 seven ones, but then also the word all, over all, through all, in all. And so, Paul is redirecting their understanding and uh, their practicality of what it means to be a unified church, not by saying, hey, look at yourselves and try harder to love, but to redirect their gaze to the triune God, that the foundation of our unity, the ability to love in community, as diverse, as different, sometimes even as disagreeable as it is, ultimately, does not will not, the, the ability to love will not come from you or someone else other than you, but it is founded on the unchangeable being and work of a triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the irreversible work of Jesus Christ, the unfailing ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? The irrevocable decrees of God the Father from the very beginning of time. And like I said before, that ought to encourage us greatly with an unfailing hope. Because think about this, left to myself, left to my own strength, my own ability, my own resources to love the church or to love others who are just as sinful as I am, I will always come short. I'll always come short. And I'm going to be just be very honest here a little bit. As much as I love Sojourner and as much as I love you, Sometimes it's hard to love you, each and every one of you. Sometimes it's hard to serve you. And I'm sure many of you feel, in, at times at least, the same way about me or about the rest of the church. It can be very difficult. And so this is why Paul directs our attention, our source of strength and love, away from ourselves and to nothing less than the person and the work of God himself. Unity is something that we don't create. It's something, he says, we protect, we preserve, 
It's not something we build up out of nothing, out of the hopeless, what seems like divisions and differences that might exist among us, but to keep what Christ has already established, right, through his work, and to seek to grow into that, to express that more fully, to mature in the kind of unity that he's brought to our community, okay? Now, we kind of touched upon that already before, but let me switch gears here a little bit, because up until now, in the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about unity, community, unity, community, love, and unity, unity and love, and so on and so forth, right? But I want you to remember something, okay? Unity doesn't mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we are all to be the same to think exactly the same way, to speak uh, with the same kind of vocabulary or language, to even express our emotions and our feelings the same way. Unity, just because we are called to unity, it doesn't mean we're all the same in the same ways. And I think about that because, to be very honest, even as a pastor, sometimes I wonder, it might be great if everyone was just like me, uh, in many ways, I would feel that it'd just be a lot easier, you know, to, to minister to a church, to lead the church, or to, you know, even be the church if everyone was like me in, in personality and thought and thinking in, in hobbies or leisure or, or just, you know, how we are. It, it just might be easier. But unity here for Paul doesn't mean uniformity. Uh, if everyone was like me, as much as things might be easier in some ways, I'd be missing out on some of the differences and some of the things that I, I don't have, some of the color that, that you might bring that I don't have. And so just because we're called to be unified, it doesn't mean we're, we're called to be clones of one another, right? Or it, just because he, Paul calls us to unity, it doesn't mean that we're called to be uh, all the, the, the same, the, the cookie cutter Christians, all in the same shape, all in the same color, all in the same form. In other words, just because Paul emphasizes here in this passage unity, it doesn't mean he doesn't recognize diversity. Diversity. And, you know, diversity is a popular word today, isn't it? Uh, in fact, unity, maybe not so much, but we celebrate diversity to an extreme, I think, in our culture. But oftentimes, isn't it difficult? Don't we find it difficult to do both? To value our diversity in one hand, and yet at the same time to call ourselves unified. Because sometimes it seems that the diversity, uh, the differences, oftentimes create a chasm uh, that seems too great to breach, a, a gap that's too wide to, to bridge. And if you've ever thought about that in, in your own situation or in your own culture, yeah, consider how difficult then it must have been here in this church in Ephesus, where you had Jews together with Gentiles who are different, not just in terms of religious background, but also social background, uh, racial background, political backgrounds, economic backgrounds, very different, sometimes finding themselves on the polar and opposite extremes of one another, and yet worshiping together in one small group. And yet look at the way Paul writes here in our passage. He writes as if this is not a problem at all. In fact, for Paul, unity and diversity go hand in hand. That gospel unity is not uniformity, but it's very opposite. 
that gospel unity is maintained, it's, it's protected, it's preserved, it's flourished in its diversity. In its diversity. Think about this. If our unity is founded, according to Paul, based on the triune God, one God, one Lord, one Father, one Spirit, right? That triune God is also diverse. There's unity there, but there's three persons, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all different. They're all different people. They're all different. They have different roles. The Son is different from the Father, right? Has particular roles. He's incarnate. The Holy Spirit has a different role than the Father or the Son, and the Father is also different from the rest. They are diverse in their relationship, but yet at the same time, they are one. And there's a mystery there of the Trinity that we just can't go into right now, but that's where I think Paul is thinking here. For Paul, the way he writes is this, that our unity is in fact enriched by the diversity. So up until verse 6, Paul keeps talking about unity, but when you look at verse 7, he says this, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Notice this, he makes a switch. From verses 1 to 6, he talks about us being one body, right? One corporate entity, uh, our unity. But then from verse 7, he immediately switches gear and starts talking about each one of us, individuals. He starts talking about our differences, our distinctions, the diversity that exists in the body of Christ, and particularly in the area of what he calls gifts. And so notice up until verse 7, he speaks to the church as one body, one church, one entity. But now from verse 7 all the way through verse 12, he's now addressing members, individuals, with the differences and distinctions that they have in that one body. And for him, those aren't ideas that are at odds with each other. Those are things that complement each other. And so he starts in verse 11 by telling us about some of the diversity of people and gifts that the church has. In verse 11, he says, he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists, he gave the shepherds, and he gave teachers. These are all different gifts, and they're all different people. And I think what Paul is doing here is that he's reminding us that Jesus doesn't give everyone the same thing. He doesn't give everyone the same gifts, that there are evangelists who are not apostles, and there are pastors and teachers who are not prophets, and they are all different, and they're all different people, right? Going back to my thought and illustration, if everyone was like me in the church, and everyone was a teacher or a preacher, I'd be missing out on some of your gifts of hospitality. I'd be missing out on the gifts that you have in music and praise or worship. I'd be missing out on, on some of your gifts of mercy or your, your, even your sense of humor or your gift of administration and organization, which I don't have as much, or your planning or even your, your simple optimism and your brightness, which oftentimes I, I'm not that person. And so I'd be missing out if everyone had the same thing. And so it's a good thing that I'm not you, but you're not me. In fact, that we are different. And we need to ask ourselves and remind ourselves of this. Have you ever, ever enjoyed being with Christians that have gifts that, that you don't have, that have strengths that you don't have? 
that have desires for God and his glory that sometimes you just don't have? Isn't it personally enriching for you to be with those who have those things that you and I sometimes don't have? And I think that's how God intends it. And it's a good thing because I know even as a pastor, I can't do many things very well. I can only do a few things I know very well, but I'm not gifted enough to do it all. And so our very diversity enriches us because on our own, we just don't have all that we need. And so in the very differences of these gifts here, there's an enriching of the whole body. And so for Paul, there's unity there, but there's also a diversity of people with different skills, different talents, different gifts, different, different uh, you know, experiences that come together. And in verse 12, come together with a singular purpose. What is that? Verse 12, to build up the body of Christ. And so I think what Paul is saying here is that in the Christian church, the unity and well-being of the whole body is expressed, it's maintained, it's protected by the diversity of the people we have or the diversity of the gifts that people have, the talents, the skills given to each different individual member of the body, verse 7. That in fact, far from being hindered by our differences and diversity, our unity is most evident and served in our diversity. When different types of people that exist in the body with different kinds of gifts that people have serve for the purpose of building up that one body. And so unity and diversity in that community together. And we need to kind of remember that, to think about that. And in light of that, I, I want us to just kind of consider a couple things all right, in terms of practical application here. First, verse 7, Paul says this, basically he says this, every one of you, every single one of us has a gift. Some of you have, have more than one gift. But each one of us has been given something by God to use, to encourage, to equip, to strengthen, to exhort to counsel, to build, to grow others, and the rest. And the question that we need to ask ourselves more and more is this, what is that for you? What is it? And the second is, are you using it? Are you using it? You know, they say that in a church, much like in a corporation, uh, it's usually 20% of the people who are doing 80% of the work, right? 80%, 20% are doing 80% of the ministry in the church, the work in the church. And unfortunately, for better or for worse, that, that's true in a lot of cases. There's a little always doing a lot, right? But on the other hand, sometimes you can have a church that you have 80% of the people who are doing just 20% of the work, right? You have a lot of people doing just a little. But in both cases, there's a bit of imbalance, isn't there? And I don't know whether that's the case in, in our church, but certainly from this passage, I think the thing that you and I need to take away is, is this. None of us ought to fail to be utilizing our gifts or gifts in the body of Christ. Because here's the thing. If God has given each one of us, right, it means that your gift is needed. 
If God has given to you something of a gift, a talent, a skill, whatever it is, in the body of Christ, it has given each one of us something. It means that you're needed. It's needed. It's meant to be used. It may not be up in the front of people kind of gift, but it's a gift given to you. And it means that you and, and, and that gift are needed. And if you're not using them, uh, somehow, if you're not doing this, then guess what? The whole church misses out on something. The whole body misses out on something that's not exercised. Okay? You know, for example, you know, maybe, maybe in the future, praise team might need more help. You know, maybe, maybe we need some more vocals. And, you know, I know some of you, you go to karaoke a lot. Okay? And, and, and from what I hear and from what I've seen, some of you sing so well in karaoke. Right in Noreba, right? You, you, you're so great. You're, you're, you, you come out, you express, you sing so passionately. You, you're, you're, you're there. But as soon as someone asks you, hey, maybe you should sing in the praise team, you're like, no, 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 I can't. Look, that might be a gift. Why aren't you using that? Right? And so we're missing out in many ways. All of us has ways, we have ways we can bless others in the church. And that means we should be on the lookout for how we could do that. We should pray and ask God two questions. God, what gifts have you given to me? And secondly, we should ask, Lord, how can I use these gifts for the whole body? That's, what, that's, that's, that's the practical application I have for you. We, we shouldn't be waiting for others to use their gifts. You know, you go to a person and you say, hey, I heard you have the gift of giving. Can you give me $100? Right? No. And neither should we be looking at others wishing we had their gifts. You know, like maybe you look at Abe playing and singing the guitar and you say, man, I wish I could do that. I do that sometimes. I actually do that. Or, but if you do that, you'll be wasting your own gift. We should seek to use those gifts, whatever they are. Lord, what are they? Lord, help me to use them in the congregation I have. Okay. Uh, secondly, when you look at verse 11, it says this, and notice this, the gifts that he talks about, the differences, the diverse sort of people that he gives, he says he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And, and, and I want you to notice this, okay? There's a gift of apostleship that he talks about. There's a gift of prophecy that he talks about. There's a gift of evangelism and shepherding and teaching. But the way he mentions these gifts is not in some sort of abstract, impersonal talent or skill. It's personal. God doesn't just give the church the gift of shepherding. He gives shepherds. God didn't just give the church the gift of teaching. He gives teachers. He didn't just provide the gift of evangelism to the church. He provides evangelists. In other words, Paul speaks in terms of the total person as a gift to the church. He doesn't just give skills and talents and abilities to people so that you and I could be blessed. He gives people to people so that you and I could be blessed. The gifts given to the church is not just what you and I can do for the church, but the gifts given to the church are the brothers and sisters in your church through whom God can use to build us up. And I, 
I want us to think more personally about that. Whether you're serving or not, whether you're using your gift or not, think about this. When was the last time you said to a fellow church member, you know, I just want to pause here and, and tell you how much you have encouraged me in your doing and serving in this area? When was the last time you said to a fellow brother or sister or Christ in Christ, I, I just want to let you know how much of, of a blessing you've been to me in your doing and serving up there in the front or in there in the back? I, how many, tell me times have you said, when was the last time you said to someone, you know, I want you to know that you're serving and you're giving and you're using of your gift has been such a blessing to my child. Or just wanted to thank you for, for your ministry and your serving to encourage me or my faith to grow me in my trust in Christ. God gives gifts to all of us. But not just things we do, but the people who do them. And we need to recognize that as well. So let me just end and, and just kind of ask that we pray that we're able to, first of all, recognize and utilize our gifts for the church, all right? And secondly, also to pray that in whatever difference and whatever diversity or distinctions we have, that we recognize and acknowledge the people in our lives and in our community who have been gifted to us for the sake of our unity and for our growth and maturity, okay? So let's take a moment to pray.